0: Home. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's a rustic cabin. For others, a big city high-rise. And for others, it's renting a tiny studio that said it had laundry in the building, but the dryer's always broken. And don't get me started on the gym. That's not a gym. It's an elliptical machine and a boiler room. And let's not even discuss parking. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on renters and car insurance. Easier than getting your landlord to return your calls. You can't hide forever, Leonard
1: it's say it ain't contagious with adrian burgos
2: craig calcaterra stephen goldman
3: frank Gritti,
2: lincoln mitchell
4: and tova wang hi everybody welcome back to say it ain't contagious the podcast that looks at the intersection of baseball politics and social justice I am very annoyed that I was not on the last podcast because it was about what it means to be a fan, which I have a lot of opinions on, but maybe I can squeeze that in at some point. We're here today to talk about uh, baseball owners and maybe some baseball players who have uh, spouted some nonsense this past (laughs) week (laughs) and how it is reflective of, I think, bigger problems in baseball and beyond. I'm going to throw it to Craig to introduce himself and also just Briefly remind us all of the words of wisdom that were expressed to us this week.
5: Hi, this is Craig Calcaterra of the Cup of Coffee newsletter and this podcast. Kevin Mather was the man in the news in the last week, the now former president and CEO of the Seattle Mariners, who decided to use the August forum of the Bellevue, Washington Rotary Club. To uh, basically talk smack about every player on his roster, admit to service time manipulation of pre-arbitration and pre-Major League players, and do everything he possibly could to confirm the absolute worst suspicions that players and fans have about the ownership and executive class in Major League Baseball. The best part of it all was that uh, when the video of his Rotary Club comments leaked, or didn't leak, they just put it up on there because that's what the Rotary Club does, Um, he, he tried to say that these are just my opinions, not the opinions of the Seattle Mariners, which are ridiculous considering he was the CEO and president of the Seattle Mariners. Just so by definition, they were the team's opinions, uh, but also just by practical knowledge, everyone knows the owners do this. The transgression here was, was not him revealing some secret. It was that he revealed it publicly, that it came out um that he said the quiet part out loud and uh the reaction from players and others around the league bore that out when uh, the union and everybody else said well finally what we all knew already is now out there for consumption and that's what really led to his downfall.
4: Well and then there were also Craig D and anyone else um the comments about some of the foreign born players on the Yeah. Team.
5: Yeah. In addition to the financial aspects of here's how we're going to screw and manipulate all of the rookies and everything, he decided that it was very important to say that uh, certain players, some in the minors and some who are now retired, longtime major leaguers, their English isn't very good. As if that matters. And uh, uh, one player he referred to a Latin player as loud, and his English is poor. So that that went really well. It was just a, an exercise in in contempt for your for your employees, contempt for people. Uh, and workers contempt for fans contempt for everybody uh it was arrogant it was ugly um but it was absolute unvarnished truth for once from a major league baseball executive
4: so adrian what do you think adrian
1: burgos uh, professor at the University of Illinois author of Playing America's Game Baseball Latinos and the Color Line. You know Kevin Mather must have made Alvin Dark look up from wherever he is God. and smile <laughs> because from wherever he is know, Alvin Dark the guy <laughs> Uh, Alvin Dark was a guy who had the most diverse team in all of baseball and with Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, Cubans, Nicaraguans, Hondurans. They had, and what does he do? He puts a sign up in spring training that says speak English. What upset me so much about Mather was that Julio Rodriguez, a young Dominican player, has mastered English to the point that he does interviews in English. He hosts a show on the YouTube channel of the Mariners in English. And so, like, what got me was the other Latino players who see that Rodriguez has done all of this work to master English is then held as a negative example. If they're going to do that to him, what are they going to do to the guys who can't speak English well, who don't have the facility to pick up a second language while becoming a major leaguer? And so, you know, this is just this is what made me so upset because it's the same attitude that was in the 70s, in the 50s when Alvin Dark became manager. It goes all the way back and it shows that certain part of Matrix Baseball has not progressed.
3: Adrian, Steve Goldman here of the Infinite Inning and Baseball Prospectus. One of the things that really surprised me about those comments, not by Jerry Mathers of Leave it to Beaver fame, but uh, Mariners Mathers was that the attitude he expressed towards the bilingualism of some of those players and, and where they were on on the curve of mastering English would seem to have been something that baseball had gotten over. And I think I brought this up on a, a prior discussion that we've had of Tony Perez, now in the Hall of Fame, talking about how when he signed, having come over from Cuba, that he just got dropped in some minor league somewhere. He didn't even know how to order a, a burger. He he was just completely lost. And I know from talking to people in player development that that was the case into this century that you might get signed out of the Dominican Republic. And in fact, the level of education in the Dominican Republic is so bad that sometimes in the complex leagues within the Dominican Republic, they actually before they can. Well, let, let me circle back. Let me say they we've now gone so far the other way that the smarter teams are taking players who have forgone their their education as teenagers in the Dominican, teaching them in their own language sometimes, and then teaching them English so that when they get here, they do have a head start on being acculturated as opposed to being isolated. And it would seem to me that this would be an intelligent way to go about player development, saying let's not have an, an extra handicap of alienation on these young players. But here this guy is complaining about the expense of that.
2: I want to maybe just add a couple of things in one of the things that he said was how he didn't want to pay an interpreter for one of his Japanese players, $75,000 a year. That struck me significantly for one, that is, he is really underpaying his interpreter. I've worked with a lot of people <laughs> who work as interpreters and translators and they make, and, and they wouldn't work for that little money. I mean, it's just not, it's not what the going rate is, but secondly. I mean we've said this over and over, but Japanese players get interpreters, Spanish speakers don't, right? That, that that tells you a lot about a lot about the racial hierarchy of baseball. But what also strikes me is that there's a certain provincialism to the reactionary uh, racism of, of a Kevin Mather, right? It's twenty twenty one. If you are an educated person and a wealthy person, you likely or, or, or not, you likely work in a workplace where there are people from different parts of the world who speak different languages, right? It's not that unusual to have a colleague whose English isn't great. I mean, if that's news in Bellevue, Washington, you know, I, I, I've never been, I've been to Washington State, but this 21st century. Everyone speaks a different language, right? The guy comes, I mean, and and if you're like me who speaks no language well, but a lot of languages a little bit, it's great. I can I know 100 words of Spanish, Russian, you know, Yiddish, Chinese, and it's very useful. The last point I'll make is that we see this with kind of... uh Young, young uh, like childhood education. Language proficiency is, is seen by uh, closed-minded people as a surrogate for intellect. Oh, he's brilliant. He speaks three languages. Or, or you know, he, he only speaks one language. The, to think of someone as not smart because they only speak Japanese or they only speak Spanish or they can't speak English or the, or the flip. Oh, he's really smart. He's bilingual. This is, this is a strange way to evaluate intellect, and it really speaks
0: to their, their closed-mindedness. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Uh, this is Frank Garrity, Columbia University, author of The Sports Revolution, coming out next month. You know, Adrian mentioned Alvin Dark, the other person, the historic figure, infamous figure in Major League Baseball history that came to my mind was Calvin Griffith, the Minnesota Twins owner in the 1960s and 70s when he gave the speech uh, to the Waseca Lions Club in 1978. When he told the club, I'll tell you why we came to Minnesota, it was when I found out you only have 15,000 blacks here Black people don't go to the ball games, but they fill up wrestling the wrestling ring and put up such a chant it'll scare you to death. It's unbelievable. We came here because you've got good, hardworking white people here. And then he said in the same speech uh, uh, about Rod Carew, his best player quote He gets only se- he only gets one hundred seventy thousand dollars, and we all damn well that he's worth a lot more than that, right? So you know, it, it just re- I, I could see Calvin Griffith sort of waving his finger at Mather, you know. Uh, and of course, he didn't pay the consequences for his uh, for his speech uh, until 2020, when the twins took down his statue last year. So, you know, on the one hand, you see these kind of historic parallels. This is sort of ownership being the way they've always been, and yet there's something particular about this Mather case that I can't wrap my head around. You know, not just the kind of this is the, the bald ignorance, but but the the ways in which uh, in this day and age, you know, so you know the Griffith speech gets you know publicized in the in the newspaper, right? But in this day and age the fact that he thought he could just say this and there'd be no consequence. I think that's the part that I, I'm having a hard time understanding, right? Um, yeah, so I, I, I want to talk a bit about, more about these, this generation of owners as opposed to earlier ones. I mean, they're all greedy. They've been racist. But there's something about management now that, that I, I find really striking in terms of its, its ignorance, but also in its, it's just boldness.
3: And by the way, Frank, who are some of the best players on that Twins team besides Rod Carew of Panama Zoilo Versailles, Tony of Perez, course. Emilio Pascal, Tony, Tony Lieber. Yeah, Norman yes,
2: Killebrew, who was discovered by a right-wing U.S. senator playing in the fields of Idaho or somewhere. This is Lincoln Mitchell, <laughs> by the way. The other person this reminded me of was Al Campanis. And I know that yeah. we're supposed to see the Dodgers yes. as a progressive organization because something happened before any of us were born. But Al Campanis, and the similarity is Al Campanis did this on late-night television. Show, television, and, when, and what I'm talking about is, and I'm going to have the exact quote, but he talked about African-Americans not having what it takes. Not
0: having the necessities. The necessities to That's manage in
2: the major leagues. I remember. Right? And then yes. when asked, like, what are you saying? I, if I believe, if I'm correct, he then went on and talked about African-Americans can't swim. Yeah, I mean, this was really <laughs> like given buoyancy. the opportunity, but it was on a massive platform.
5: So what strikes me about- Ted it, Koppel was trying to save him. <laughs> exactly. And he wouldn't take- <laughs> Exactly. He just kept preserver. digging the
2: hole deeper. But it's, it's the arrogance. And it's the arrogance of these people because to some extent, you know, When you've made that much money, the culture tells you what the culture tells
1: you. It's fascinating because Mather is saying this in 2021. And good business sense for an organization like the Mariners would tell them that in order to make a stronger competitive team, they need to maximize what their Latin American players, Dominican players are doing, that they should invest there. That's the only way that Kansas City Royals have ended up in the World Series. When was the last time the Mariners were in the World Series? And the other thing is,
2: that would be never. Mather
1: is a baseball lifer in the Mariners organization, so it's not like, oh, my generation, this is what we thought. He's been in the game, and he's he really has no excuse. Al Campanis at least grew up in an era where you know a lot of people thought like him.
4: I mean, plus he's a shitty manager or city o- a shitty owner. He had a sexual harassment case against him in 2018, too, which I had not heard about until this happened. So there's there's that. Yeah. I mean, and then on this. uh, So all of that is true and more. And and I wonder, you know, are we not fully in our post Trumpian age yet where, you know, you can say this stuff without any blowback or you think people think they can. I mean, I don't know anything about Rotary Clubs. I don't
2: (laughs) you're not a I member of so in New York
4: City, and I think um, this was another uh, thing that I missed up out on in the real America. Um, so I don't know what that environment is like, but if
5: you... you know what's funny about I can I can speak a little bit about Rotary clubs. I've, I've never been a member, uh, but I live in in the Midwest where Rotary clubs, the and things happen.
4: Real America, yeah, real yeah. America. A, as
5: the real American on this podcast, <laughs> <laughs>
4: that's pushing.
5: The heartland. The, the, my Thank only, you Archie Bucker. Yeah, right. My only <laughs> interaction with a rotary club is the the rotary club the big thing that people my age knew about the rotary club is they would sponsor foreign exchange oh, right. Like they they would sponsor <laughs> Right. And they would sponsor kids from southern West Virginia, where I live, to go to Japan or to go to Europe yes. or go to South America for you know two three months, and then they would sponsor <laughs> foreign exchange students coming That's in. Cool. And we had actually where I lived was a, a fairly robust foreign exchange program. We had kids from all over the world that went to high school with us, and friends of mine went everywhere. And so when I saw it was the Rotary Club, you know, my little and you went to old... what
2: Tiger Stadium, Craig? <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah.
3: My friends
2: of yours went everywhere, and you went to Tiger Stadium. <laughs>
5: My my 30-year-old some memory of all this was, oh, the Rotary Club, they're a progr- – oh, wait, no, this is something different. But it's funny about –
2: Members of the Rotary Clubs are called Rotarians, which, Rotarians. I, thought some Arme- Rotarians. Rotarians, which I thought growing up in California, <laughs> it was an Armenian dude who was funding all these scholarships.
1: See, I found it very confusing. And I thought oh, that means somebody from Doctor Hill
0: Rotarians.
5: There, there's something larger there, though, seriously, that comes from Mather – you know getting burned over his comments to the rotary club and it's uh it's all about you know when people when people who are otherwise respectable and we can debate whether or not mather was respectable before when they get burned in situations like this it's because they think they're in friendly company when i was a lawyer uh and i would go downtown every day in my suit with all the other white men in the office building um it's amazing what people will say in front of you if you think you're one of them. And they still do. Like, you know, if I'm if I'm not Craig the radical on the internet and I'm just walking around my suburb, you know, it's amazing what people will share with you uh if they think you're part of their club. They they will be truthful around other white men of a certain age and a certain assumed disposition. Mather thought that he was talking to his friends who where he could he could really spill the tea about the those horrible foreign players on his team and and those poor people that uh, he's going to keep poor as long as he possibly can. Um it's pretty telling about how institutions work. Uh not not that I want to throw any more dirt on the Rotary Club, but uh he he thought he was among friends and that's why he talked that way and he never would have said that to the press, he never would have said that to a team meeting. Uh, well, and- do you
4: have? So, I mean, I'm I'm not sure that he, so everything I think he's just said is right, but I'm not sure given the arrogance with which he just you know said whatever popped into his head that he wouldn't have at some point said it. Um, in general, I mean, and going back to the stuff about that this person is overpaid and they settled for you know less money than they they could have gotten and not bringing rookies up to play to uh, manipulate their service time, he made it so abundantly clear he was so blunt about what he cared about in managing that team and the business model he was using which had nothing to do with the game nothing to do with the fans and everything to do with saving money and which has you know come out in the results of the seattle mariners club for how many years 20
2: decades the mariners comparative advantage to the extent they have one right If one they're one of the top three american league teams on the west coast but also it's it's their proximity to, to, to Asia, right? I mean, I mean, to make this insulting comment, I know, I believe there was an outfielder who was an absolute legend, perhaps the most popular <laughs> player in the game on two continents who starred for the Mariners. You know, like, like, like you're going to try to burn that bridge? I mean, and, and, and this goes to, you know, something we learned over and over again is that none of these people, whether you're talking about, you know, at any level, with a few exceptions, they're not all that bright. Yes, Adrian the Hit King, Ichiro, right? I mean, this is just stupid. It's, it's racist. It's, it's stupid. Like, it's just somebody who's not capable of looking at input and, f- and figuring out what is the best thing to say to further his business, his personal interest. And by the way, to, uh, to
0: flesh out something or to repeat something, Frank said, it's 2021. How do you think this wouldn't get out? That's the part that I just can't understand. I mean, f- there's the intelligence issue there that you're highlighting. But then there's like we live in a surveillance a surveilled society, right? Everything's recorded. There's no privacy. <laughs> so you're right, Craig. He thought he was among friends just the way Calvin Griffith thought he was among friends in 1978, right? But Calvin Griffith, you know, he could have said everything and maybe there wasn't a reporter there, right? In this case, we don't need reporters for things to get out, right? So that's the piece that I that I don't understand. Like you know, like the, the racism and the ignorance, you know, that's hard to understand, you know, especially as a, a CEO of the Mariners. But the fact that he didn't think this could get out. Or maybe he did he didn't care. I mean that's the part that that's the part that i that I'm really struck by that's the part that I can't understand. I'm still hung up on the rotarians.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend who had a case of rotaria once he got I'm a so shot awesome. of penicillin and it cleared right up. <laughs> told him to be more careful in the future. The Mariners haven't been in the playoffs in nineteen years, which is the adult life of many current mariners fans, and it should be embarrassing to boast about. The way that you're making sure to keep the best talent off the field where you have a very dedicated, very ardent fan base there that really just wants to see this team do something positive at this point. It really could be anything. They're not going to be picky about it. And they have some of the best prospects in the game right now, in part because the Mets were very generous and gifted Mr. Kelenic over to that (laughs) franchise. But. He was saying, well, we're just not going to put that guy on the field no matter what. We just weren't going to do it, even if we needed it. Even he said, he said, I'm paraphrasing just slightly, if we had had enough injuries, you would have seen me out there before you would have seen him out there because we're not going to start his service clock, which not only is contra the uh, basic agreement with the with the players. It's it's not against the letter of it, but it is against the, the spirit of it, certainly. But. It's just a big middle finger to the fans.
5: Here's how he says it. The question of, of how does someone like Mather not think that this is, you know, idiotic. It's He's in a business that doesn't require you to be very smart. Owning a Major League Baseball team or being the president of a Major League Baseball team is, you know, you put yourself into a monopoly protected situation where there is very little competition. It's a cartel Um, The the best way I I saw it, there's a guy who writes a Mariners blog named uh, David Skiba. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. It's called uh, uh, Dolman Bedlam. He has a podcast as well. And he wrote the other day, uh, the great gap of self-awareness in folks like Kevin Mather, both inside and outside the sporting industry, is they believe they are great business minds and they're patently not that. They're inheritors of a gold mine that grows its own gold. They have done nothing to make it, yet it still produces its own value increasingly over time. And it goes on like that as far as, you know, these are guys who just fell into it. And they think because of where they are, they're, they're some sort of geniuses. And they're not. All you have to do, all you have to do is avoid completely screwing up. <laughs>
0: ¿Qué deseas ordenar? Una Big Mac y. Oye, ¿pedimos 10 McNuggets? Sí, miti miti. Dale. ¿Te acuerdas cuando mamá te hacía compartir y peleabas?
3: ¡Hey! <risa> más respeto a tu hermana mayor. El
2: amor de hermanos tío, de
6: McDonald's.
2: Ordena por anticipado por el app de McDonald's y llévate dos de tus favoritos, como McNuggets de 10 piezas y una Big Mac por solo 6 dólares. Precios y participación pueden variar producto individual a precio regular.
1: Another thing, this gets back to what we talked about on the the last interstitial podcast on fandom. Because, you know, what is Mather saying to the Mariners fan? We'd rather give you a very bad product than, but King Fields is retired or gone from Seattle. Ichiro has been gone for, like, what do the Mariners fan have to look forward to? Kalanick and the other young guys and Rodriguez coming up and playing for the big league team. And here you have the CEO president saying, we're going to keep them down as long as we can. The fans don't care about your profit margin. Give us a decent team that we can root for.
0: You
2: say the fans don't care about your profit margins. What strikes me, and I know Stephen and others have touched on this in the past, is that the owners have done such a good job of getting the fans to care about the profit margin. They act as if the if the owners save a million dollars, it's their million dollars. And and that's the biggest victory of all that the owners have, have made here is because the fans should be feeling exactly what you're describing.
4: Well, that's like, you know, Trump with the tax records, his paying taxes and people being saying, well, that yeah, just makes him a smart businessman if he didn't pay any taxes. There's this kind of, um, I don't know, admiration for people who are able to get away with stuff in the business world. And it is reflective of the business world more broadly uh, in our country about how they operate and think about their staffs and their employees and labor and their workers. Obviously, I mean, just look at something like Amazon or you have, you know, Wayne's World doing ads about eat locally, eat in local restaurants, and it's for Uber Eats. So it's it's this kind of thinking and it's it's sad in general. It's really sad that it's in baseball
0: yeah you know the other the person the other uh, the historian again thinking about past owners the other person i think about a lot is charlie finley the person who owned the uh the athletics franchise for 20 years uh and he notoriously kept a really small um uh, front office uh you know in fact he hired uh mc hammers a 13 role to do stuff for him as a almost like a, an executive he actually had a title and one of these that finley used to say all the time was like you don't have to be really smart to run a baseball club i could just do it myself and in fact he was the gm he did everything right so that's a different error. No, no doubt scouting and player development has gotten more uh, sophisticated since then. But I, rem- I remember his, I, he said that quite a bit, that this whole notion, you need all these people to run a franchise is yeah, a bunch but the of bullshit. Part,
4: the fun part but about I, that story, I think I read, was that MC, he got, MC Hammer got the nickname Hammer from Reggie Jackson.
0: Yes, that's right, because he looked like <laughs> he looked like Henry Aaron. <laughs> exactly. The other way that Charlie O'Finley was brilliant is that the Mets
2: decided not to draft Reggie Jackson because his girlfriend yes. had light skin, and Charlie O'Finley oh, was was so brilliant that he had the number two pick in that draft. So that's where you have to be smart.
0: No, he was I, actually really good at putting a, a ball club together. The other part about the Mather uh, rambles was his, uh, his his little diatribe about the ballpark. So it's clear he's prepping. He's got his little um, he's got a little speech to try to hold up Seattle for yet another ballpark because, or or for increased police. And That was also incoherent too when he was going on and on about like we we, we pay policemen. We don't have our employees park over here, but they park the over neighborhood's, there. I mean, it the was neighborhood just, has gone to hell. The neighborhood, the whole neighborhood, which is also like a tried and yep. true formula to, for owners to get things from cities. And it's clear that that's part of the talking points. At least it seemed to me that, that they're using to try to, I guess, to replace the now outdated Safeco Field Or what is it called now? I forgot what it's called. That's only about 20 years old. T-Mobile. Oh, T-Mobile. Yes. How could I forget?
3: There's a certain sociopathy in what Tova was just talking about and what Mather was saying. I think about this a lot. When someone like Trump says, oh, my 13 bankruptcies was me being smart. You stiff your creditors. That's what a smart businessman does. And there there happens to be a music store in my area that supplied. I've, I've bought guitars there that supplied instruments to, uh, I think, the Trump casino that just got blown up and they never got paid. This just not a chain, just a local music store with a reputation for supplying high quality instruments. And they gave him a grand piano or something and they got pennies on the dollar, if anything. And it occurs to me that every time we see somebody or and doing that kind of thing and saying that they're smart, what we're missing is that our reliance on the th- this is a huge thing in American history, usually to the detriment of unions, too. But the sanctity of contract. Right. And that if you make an agreement, no one can interfere with that, especially not the federal government. And society breaks down at that point, right? If everyone had that attitude that Trump had, and this will get to Mather in a second, then nothing would work because you'd never know if you and I bargained for goods to, to exchange for services. You'd never know if if either party was actually going to follow through on the agreement. So, you know, I give you my- Society almost broke down just because one person had well, that Well, right. Attitude. Exactly. But so here's Mather bluntly saying, we are not going to give you a quality product for your dollar, no matter what you do, we are just here. We are we are part of the rentier class, right? We we are here to prey on you. And it strikes me, it's it's less pernicious than say what Upton Sinclair described in the Jungle. But it seems to me that the mindset is one hundred percent the same. That we are going to, you know, you you are going to get whatever we put in the sausage, and you really don't want to know what's in the sausage. It's just it's just what you're going to get. I mention this all the time. But when I, when I have, I've spent a lot of time doing research into the great depression. And one of the things that just came up by accident were things like local health officials crusade against glass shards and ice cream. And I was like, that was a thing as late as the thirties that you had to get broken glass out of the vanilla ice cream for the kids. Like that's what happens when businesses have that attitude that it's just hooray for me to hell with you. And it's no way. Especially in baseball, where you have to, people have to opt into your fan base to grow that fan
5: base. The first semester of law school, and this was in the 1990s, you know, and they still teach it in law school, was uh, they teach you about efficient breach in your contract class. Cause, and they, they gained the law students into, into learning about it. Cause, oh, what's a contract? Tell me what a contract is. And dumb first year law students like me say what a contract is. It's an agreement that can't be broken. Well, of course it can be broken. Uh, yeah, but then you get sued. Well, no, because sometimes it's better for you financially if you breach breach the agreement. And part of it is you have shards of glass and ice cream because it's cheaper to pay out whatever you have to pay for killed kids than it is to remove the shards of glass from the ice cream. We saw this as late as the 1970s with the Ford Pinto thing, where they just decided that we're not going to fix the exploding gas tank because it'd be cheaper to pay off the lawsuits than it would be to re-engineer the car. That mindset still exists today. It's not something of the past. It's it's a little more gussied up. But uh, in the context of baseball, uh, the object is to win the game. But if it's more efficient to not win the game, we're not going to win the game. It always comes down to that, and that whole idea of efficient breach, whether it's of an actual contract or a or a public trust or or an implicit part of the social contract, is just pernicious in every uh, part of the business class.
4: Before I start having flashbacks to the bar exam, which I had to take in the Jacob Javits Convention Center,
5: <laughs> can you get me in there for a vaccine? <laughs>
4: exactly. I uh, I do just want to. I know you may go back to this the matter stuff but i do just want to throw in here because i am the light of this group <laughs> that i don't think we've been together don't don't laugh that much <laughs> we, i don't think we've been together since the fernando tatis signing also which is a little bit the good news the flip side of some of this you know and i, I do just want to take a moment to celebrate something good and then we can go back to being negative pins in the asses
3: but but Craig, do you want to talk about the Ken Rosenthal reaction
0: to that, or can I? And, and the ads, the ads, oh, the advertisement no, of the signing, go, which you've also been talking yeah, about.
1: Me guys would end don't forget, being... Trevor. Please, Trevor will cry <laughs> if you don't mention him. Okay. I'm trying my best, people. Well,
5: <laughs> I, I'm 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 going to mention. I, I will mention the Tatis signing as far as a fact, and then Steve can take the negative part about their reaction, but the, the Tatis signing is ultimately the product of a team doing it the right way, right? Uh, the Padres could have manipulated Tatis's service time, but they called him up. Uh, opening day of the 2019 season. They gave him every opportunity to become a star. They promoted him as a star. And then, rather than play games with him for the next three to six years of his development, they decided to keep that star in town. Now, I'm not going to hang a medal on the Padres, because if things go south for other reasons in a couple of years, they're going to try to find a way to trade him or do something. But for now, anyway, that's how it's supposed to look. What the Padres are doing is how it's supposed to look. And it's taken up so much ink uh, this this offseason because it is so freaking strange. Because there are no teams doing that, which leads into the media reaction. Take it, Steve.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the early days of free agency, there was this incredible exuberance where players were given 10-year contracts for no particular reason. And all, many of those backfired. It's uh uh the the guy with the Cleveland Indians too. I, I'm blanking. Ross no, no, no. Another another pitcher who pitched about one season for them, really bad. He came out of the uh, he came out of the Orioles. He had won 20 games once on run support and defense. Yes, Wayne Garland. yeah Wayne Garland. Thank Wayne you. Garland. They they basically had to pay nine years of of uh, compensation for doing absolutely nothing. But we've kind of gone all the way around now. Because what they're recognizing is don't give it to the 30-year-old guy, give it to the 22-year-old guy, and then at the end of the 10 years, or in this case, 14, he'll still be relatively near the peak of his career. But what I, I was going to say is that uh, Ken Rosenthal, who I don't necessarily mean to throw under the bus as far as I know, he's a decent guy. I've only talked to him one time. He was polite and friendly to me, so I, I can't comment. But as as Craig has pointed out repeatedly, he also works for various rights holders which does put you in an ethical bind. So writing for the...
5: He a- also takes a paycheck directly from Major League Baseball for MLB Network. Which stuff. is the ultimate rights holder, essentially
3: the, the the wellspring of rights holding. And he wrote a long reaction on The Athletic that I think I would call concern trolling and that it, it was essentially, can the Padres really handle this? Do they know what they're doing? Which, first of all, assumes that they don't, right? That they looked at their own books and did something completely profligate and irresponsible. Always possible in baseball, but it, it doesn't seem to me likely. And he talks about how he pays lip service to the idea that in a season in which Francisco Lindor and lots of other players who should be with their teams have been dealt, that this is a, a big moment of triumph for a, a mid-market or small-market team to assign somebody like Tatis Jr. to this extended contract but they may belly flop at the end. He actually has an extended metaphor with frolicking in the surf, I believe, in which they uh, they end up face down in the tide. <laughs> but the thing is, what is the consequence? That this is what we should be concerned with as fans, right? If he's right and the Padres were somehow drunk and signed Tatís Jr. to a contract that they shouldn't have. The consequences are exactly the same as if they hadn't. Specifically, given the way that the the clock proceeds through arbitration and free agency, you hit free agency at year six. Had they gone through and said, you know, we can't uh, uh, responsibly afford to sign Tatis. We'll have to trade him probably to the Yankees or Dodgers. That would have happened somewhere between now and that year six period. Conversely, if they sign this agreement and somewhere in the next few years, they do say, gosh, we were drunk. We can't responsibly afford to keep paying this. They will end up trading him to the Yankees or Dodgers, probably for a bunch of prospects who won't be as good as Tatis. The main difference in those two scenarios is that at minimum, the Padres fans get to enjoy this young star for an extra two to four years that they wouldn't have had versus when the the Padres would have traded him. And the only negative to that is that Padres ownership is a few dollars poorer than they would have been. And I'm not sure why that should be our primary concern. If the implication is that the Padres are going to move, it almost happened to the Padres in 1974. They they came so close to being the Washington Stars that Tops printed out half their cards with with Nate Colbert, Washington player. But I mean- Willie McCovey. Th- yes, Willie McCovey. My too, favorite player. They got through, they were like halfway through the print run. So some of them say it and some of them don't. But that's unlikely to happen. They're unlikely to go out of business- because of this one contract, so again, what are the consequences that somebody like Ken Rosenthal is so tearful about? It's simply whether Padres ownership makes as much money as it had before, and I don't know why that's his concern, and I don't know why it should be our concern.
0: Yeah, the question they should be asking is right: Why is it that our baseball, uh, Major League Baseball franchise is paying people like Mather all this money to do nothing? Right? I mean, that's the question: Why is it that the the this bloated managerial class that runs the game? And is making up money hand over fist paying people like Mather? Like, how are they accountable, right? And I guess the, the, the question is, I guess they're generating profits for them, but that's it. But it's not translating to success on the field at all, right? Because as, as Adrian said, this person has been in the game for quite some time, right? Uh, it's the same question you can ask of the Jared Porters and these people like that who are constantly, you know, these guys just pay, you know, they just give each other money. That's essentially what they do. Uh, and people should be asking those kinds of questions, it seems to me.
3: Isn't that something that you college professors are intensely
0: familiar with in your own field? <laughs> Yes, we are. Well, the, the below to the managerial class is not uh, specifically the Major League Baseball.
4: Did you also want to say something about how wonderful baseball is about marketing its stars?
0: Well, and that we talked about that. We talked about last week. I mean, a Tatis person <laughs> is the person who you want to be foregrounding, right? I mean, we talked about this in our last uh, podcast in which we contrasted Major League Baseball's marketing to other sports, and especially the NBA. And I think that uh, in spite of themselves, the Padres have this potentially transcended player, uh, who his manager threw under the bus last year, and instead of doing that, instead of putting out ads like they did uh, this week with him and Manny Machado getting all these big salaries, right? Is that who the other player was? I mean, the other, the other, yeah, s-
5: yeah. It was, it was the, the most, most expensive. Uh, what's more, name something more expensive than the left side of the Padres infield?
0: Oh, it's just right. which, which you know, and I saw you see this. The other dynamic you see in terms of um, you know highlighting players' salaries, and this dates from the early days of Major League Baseball, uh, of free agency. Is the resentment that you see when you know at, at the notion that black and Latino players are getting all this money, right? I mean, there's so much of what you see in that era. These managers like Billy Martin being really pissed off at Reggie Jackson because he's been paid a lot of money, right? Uh, and this and these kind of these white guys have been in the game for so long in the era when you know owners you know uh, were dominated, you know kept salaries really low, and the, this kind of uh, this resentment towards well-paid athletes of color is, is part of the subtext and. And that advertisement, I thought anyway.
5: Yeah. Major League Baseball, for anyone who didn't see it, um, there were two tweets that came from the Major League Baseball account this week, um, this past week. The first one was the Machado and Tatis sitting there next to literally a pile of money. And and it said, name something more expensive than the left side of the Padres infield. It was like $600 million or whatever the two of them are owed. I and a lot of other people dunked on that really quickly. Major League Baseball deleted that tweet, actually. But they still have up one that uh, shows Machado... uh, Tatis again and a couple of other big contract extensions and it just says that's a lot of money that was that was literally the, the tweet that's still up the idea that you're not going to uh, you know Major League Baseball should have a tweet out that has video of tatisse 's highlights of him ranging in the hole for a ball and hitting a mammoth home run. But no, it's all about his money. Um, in a year when we are going to enter into labor negotiations at the end of the year and the primary talking point, as is the case in every baseball labor negotiation, will be those players are rich and greedy and they want too big a piece of the pie. It's not an accident that that's how Major League Baseball, all the way down to its social media accounts, is portraying the products that people actually want, the 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 whole point well, of Well, that's it. the
4: it's other thing crazy. about Mather's blabbering was that, I mean, going into the CBA negotiations, wow, he really said it out loud, exactly what the owners are going to be, you know, are trying to hide in their, their labor negotiations. I just have a question, though, Craig. With the mm-hmm. So the Padres would have had nothing to do with that tweet. They wouldn't have known about it all right well
5: no that that came from mlb's uh social media account not the padres um that's from somebody who works for for mlb and i don't mean to throw some social media person under the bus but you know it's not like the the old saw used to be well some intern did that's not how it works these are actual full-time employees of major league baseball and they're and they're they're giving a message that major league baseball wants to have out there i i will say we talked a couple of weeks ago about why doesn't the union uh do more pr and stuff like that uh if you saw the union's response to both to the Mather thing and players responses to the Mather thing uh it's kind of telling they, they all basically were like See, see that that's what that's what we've been talking about. That's what we've talked about. They know this stuff. And to the extent this is news. Now it's a here you go, fans. You're finally seeing what we see. That's about the best that they can do about (laughs) as far as marketing it. But
3: Craig, didn't they gut that social media staff recently? Or is that a different group?
5: That, that's a different crew. The the social media staff that got gutted was the game day in-game tweeters. These are people that were uh, employed by Major League Baseball, but were basically embedded with the 30 teams. Uh, they were local people, but Major League Baseball pay their checks. And uh, their sole job was during baseball games. They tweet out if someone hits a home run, they tweet out some memeable thing about the home run or, or some fun facts. Those people ha- and their job is fan engagement during games. Those people have all been axed. Uh, what we still have now is a central Major League Baseball social media thing that does, that runs the MLB account and a few others like that. And then every team, mostly every team, has their own in-house social media people who generally don't throw crap like that out there. They generally do cool stuff. So they baseball. get rid
1: of the, the folks on social media who would actually kind of make the fun the game fun. And they keep the <laughs> folks in central office who want you yes. to identify with the owners and understand that. Yeah, these guys are getting paid way too much money.
5: Yeah, the, the 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 probably cheapest, easiest, most effective way to connect with the social media generation and people who might make memes and be on TikTok or do whatever they can
0: to give baseball free heat. Uh, those are the ones that get axed. Yes,
1: that's great for the next generation. Of that's fans. the thing. This is just
0: so short sighted on on so many levels. I mean, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean it's just it's just emblematic of the entire society and the and the, and the corporate class in general. Uh, you know, but certainly in, in, in Major League baseball. This, I mean, it's like you, when you give these kinds of speeches, even if you perceive that you're among friends, you know, and and if you if it's just about the immediate dollar line, this is an industry that is totally you know designed to attract people to your to your product. And if you're not going to win and you're not going to create interesting product, then in the end you're, you're killing the game. It seems to me.
1: The other interesting thing here, I think, is when people see how Tatis is treated by the league, that he's, why not play football? Why not play basketball? Where basketball, you're going to be celebrated for having that big contract, and the NBA is going to kind of put you out there, and you can be the next LeBron. Like, who do you want to be the next Tatis? MLB's telling you, no, 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 no. You don't want to be the next Tatis.
3: He raids your fridge. You're out of Borrows your car without asking. Scratches? What scratches? He's your brother-in-law. I'll pay you back. He takes what's yours and there's nothing you can do. But when identity thieves want to take what's yours, you can do something. LifeLock by Norton monitors your info and alerts you to potential threats. If you become a victim, they can help fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can save up to 25% off your first year at LifeLock.com using promo code LifeLock.
4: Hey, this looks cool. Workouts while you work in. Free trial. Sure, I'll click here. My birthday for a matching playlist.
6: That's fun. It's easy to be unsafe online. My mother's made a name for a water bottle. Sweet. Now it's easy to help protect yourself. Norton 360 with LifeLock gives you device security, a VPN for online privacy, and identity theft protection, all in one. Opt in to cyber safety. Save 25% or more off your first year at Norton.com slash news.
4: well can i also just slip in here the other blatherer of the week which was trevor bauer (laughs) Um, who you know kind of echoed some similar sentiments in a lot of ways uh on twitter as he is wont to do and it also reflects on i mean this is one of the premier pitchers in the game got uh, one of the biggest contracts and he also is expressing all sorts of things hostile to latino players and and anyone anyone else who might come from an immigrant background
5: yeah bauer had a bad week he's had a a series (laughs) of them um all of it can be rooted in his his thin skin and insecurity i think The, the couple things that he did this week were uh uh, when Tatis signed he he went on this long jag about how actually his contract and its average annual value is superior in certain ways now he was trying to defend his agent in that situation my agent did a better job than Tatis's agent or whatever it wasn't like I'm worth more but it was just this ham-fisted thing and then he gets into these little pissing matches with Marcus Stroman uh, yeah. with uh, Marcus Stroman and, and with uh, uh, Noah Syndergaard or whatever he's just like a very insecure terminally online kind of dude before you get to any of his toxic anti-immigrant misogynistic uh, bullying bullcrap he's just not the kind of guy who was built temperamentally to be front and center the way he's now going to be I, I have a lot of friends who are Dodgers fans and to a person they're all basically rooting for during Bauer starts for him to get shelled by like eight or nine runs and then you know the bullpen comes back and vultures a game with the Dodgers offense scoring twelve, and uh, he ends up you know four and seventeen with a seven ERA. That's that's the dream scenario for my Dodgers fan friends. So uh,
4: well, I mean, but how do the other players on the team, Mookie Betts, you know, other players on that Kevin team Janssen. are not? Uh, yeah, I mean, who are on the other side of that spectrum? Are they supposed to relate? I mean.
5: Well, it's quiet, and you know nobody jumped onto social media from the Dodgers to uh, to help Bauer out when he was uh, beefing with the Mets guys. That doesn't happen, and you know what you always hear in situations like this. Bauer's new. It's been like five days since he's been interacting with these guys in camp. Right now, everybody's quiet. You know they all have opinions, that kind of like deportment and stuff. I mean, Bauer basically played his way out of Arizona, played his way out of Cleveland uh because he just didn't get along with people. I'm sure the same thing's going to happen in Los Angeles. You can't say anything about the big new star your your team just signed. If in 2 years he's gone or a year he's gone, you're going to see an interview with Mookie Betts or somebody like that saying, "Yeah, that guy just didn't get it."
1: He's in the same clubhouse as David Price. This this is g- going to be interesting. Because David Price is a guy who's very much willing to call a racist a racist and maybe some folks who may not be racist a racist <laughs> as well. And so, you know, wow, David Price. I I wonder if the clubhouse guy has their lockers near each other, because that just would be so much juiciness going on there.
4: It's really too bad that the year after everyone is so thrilled with Mookie Betts and he's such a good feel good story. Then to bring that into the clubhouse seems really unfortunate.
5: Yeah, it's it's certainly a, it's a go for it move on the baseball side. And you just kind of hope that you could do the, you know, I mean, the Oakland A's that we talked about in the 70s, the late 70s, New York Yankees. There there are a bunch of teams where the players didn't get along and, they, and things were, were a little ugly. The, you know, 24 players, 24 cabs kind of team. I'm thinking the Dodgers front office is just thinking, well, we're going to win a second World Series. We're going to do whatever we can. And if it's ugly in the meantime, it's ugly in the meantime. I, I don't necessarily think that's an illegitimate thing to do because I think the whole idea of team chemistry is overstated anyway. It's always an after effect. It's, it's, it's a response to what happens. We always are describing what did happen, not what, what it is. A team that wins always either overcame things or had good chemistry. A team that loses had bad chemistry. It's a hindsight kind of thing. I, I think the Dodgers front office is is willing to deal with a giant pain in the ass in Trevor Bauer, if he can put together two seasons that were kind of like his last season.
1: And in a certain sense, it's it's a move to counteract the Padres getting Blake Snell and all these other guys throughout this year. So yeah, it's a race war. I'm assuming it's an arms war.
0: war. Maybe race war. (laughs) Maybe race war between David Price and, uh, and it Bowen. could be.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is not a situation with, you know, this is not like Billy Martin and Reggie Jackson, you know, just ex- exchanging blows in the clubhouse kind of thing. This is a different kind of tenor. Uh, let's see. Oh, <laughs> well, it hey, could hey, be. be really. in the clubhouse.
1: <laughs> As a fellow Yankee fan, let me throw a reference to you. This is Cliff Johnson. This could be Cliff Johnson and Goose. Yeah. Sausage. Yeah. Oh, God. Remember that?
4: <laughs> Those were the days, though. That was but, fun, though. Uh, the goose- it was fun. But goose ended up with a broken. (laughs) Sorry, that goes back to what I would have said if I had been on the podcast last week about how I I found like people beating each other up in the the stands and getting into scraps on the field really fun. I mean, maybe it was because I was seven years old, but probably time.
3: Cliff though, Cliff, and I've talked to Cliff Johnson about this. Cliff Johnson, never mind that that incident. Actually, got really screwed because he was a prospect in the Astros organization during the Harry Walker years and he was a catcher, and that organization was both not prepared to have players of color in general and and, and an African-American catcher in particular. And if you look at Cliff Johnson's minor league numbers, Cliff Johnson, I'm not saying he would have been this kind of player, and he didn't necessarily prove to be this kind of player except intermittently, but he's putting up Roy Campanella numbers at AAA year after year, and they just kept sending him down. And, again, he had defensive deficiencies at Catcher. He was not great at it. He was a huge guy to stuff behind the plate back
0: in those days. See, But the difference between that moment, I think now I'm probably overanalyzing, but I, I, let me just hear me out is that in this moment, Trevor Bauer exists in the era of the angry white man, right? in, in which you know, the Trumpian grievance politics has been revved up for so long now that it's really accessible to anybody and people are willing to just put it out there in the late seventies. White men didn't feel threatened in the way they do now, right. In, in, in professional sports and, and, and in society as a whole, I mean, there's a, this is a different context, right? So, I mean, like the, this whole, this whole dynamic of teammates, white and black teams aren't getting along or, or Alvin dark or these other you know earlier moments happened in a different context. Now, you know, the Mathers and, and, and this sort of just open admission of this disregard for anybody who's not white and elite or, or, or perceived as a non-patriot or some sort of othering, you know, kind of uh, rhetoric is just so prevalent now. And that, that's, I can't help but see Mather's, you know, kind of uh, rambles in that context.
6: He started out with the Astros, which was a terrible team on which to be a slugger. Then he was traded to the a- to the Yankees, which was a terrible team on which to be a right-handed slugger. So he, he got some really bad breaks in his career as well. It's not just the angry white man, but it's the angry, aggrieved white man. But what's happening to Jerry Mather's, <laughs> 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 kevin mathers is a cosmic injustice the same way donald trump has been victims of cosmic yeah. injustice what i was saying about cliff johnson was he got a bad career break being a big power hitting catcher first in the astrodome and then uh, and then a right-handed hitter in yankee stadium and late in his career when he became a full-time dh with toronto and even the a's he was a very good player but he 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 had a rough rough start to his career for all the reasons steven said and then for just some kind of on-the-field baseball reasons. But he was an important part of that Yankees team because they needed a right-handed bat. They had a lot of left-handed bats in that lineup.
3: Well, they had no backup catcher for Thurman Munson for years, so Thurman was catching 150. They had, Healy. they had Fran Healy, who was there because he was a personal friend of Reggie Jackson. Right, and, and still is. But, you know, about that, that clubhouse, and I, I wanted to, to say this in response to what Frank said, too— one of my my all time favorite lines from that period was said by Mickey Rivers to Reggie Jackson, and I'm sure you guys know this. And I don't know what the context <laughs> was, but just at some point, Mickey Rivers said, "Your name is Reginald Martinez Jackson. You have a white man's first name, a Hispanic <laughs> man's middle name, and a black man's last name. No wonder you're screwed up." And I, I mean, it's I'm a Jewish guy named Lincoln Mitchell, and it's a it's a it's a great name. It's a great. <laughs> it's a great line, but I also think it just points up to sort of, well, you know, we, we have this this mix of people. We're gonna take them as they come. And as as Frank and Lincoln Lincoln were saying, that everything has become so sort of militarized in terms of these divisions that you couldn't sort of blow it off the same way that Mickey Rivers did. Yeah,
4: Mickey Rivers was my favorite player back then, but that was 'cause that was because <laughs> of the way he used to like kind of flip his butt while he was hitting.
3: Tova can you will very much appreciate this that Goose Gossage told me when he first got to the Yankees as a free agent, he was being shelled pretty reliably. I guess he was nervous when he first got there and that the other guys hazed him in this regard rather than be like, oh, you'll just get over it. Don't worry about it. Uh, Thurman Munson will go out to the mound and say like, so what kind of home run are you going to give up now? And at one point he's winding up to he's getting set to pitch and he turns around to center field. And Mickey Rivers is in a three-point stance pointed towards (laughs) the wall. (laughs) I wanted to
6: make one Trevor Bauer comment because that's when uh, Frank and Craig pushed me off the podcast, Um, (laughs) which is that I wonder, because I think Tova was saying, what do his teammates think, right? But I wonder if you are an African-American ball player, if you're a Latino ball player, isn't and you're a veteran. You've been around for a few years. You know, you're Mookie Betts, for example, who's more of a veteran superstar. But don't these ball players, like, like, I'm not inside their heads, but isn't just having annoying right wing teammates part of baseball? I mean, don't they get used to that? I've asked some ball players that, and they've been some non white ball players, and they've been. Hesitant to just come out and say it, but they certainly hinted at that.
3: I immediately flash back to the 80s Padres, which had a, a John Birch chapter in their clubhouse. Eric
0: Shaw and uh, Dave Dravecki. De- and Mark Thurmond also. And Thurmond, yeah, that's right. I was in a game once,
6: the Yankees game, Yankee A's game in Oakland, and Dave Rigetti and Mark Thurmond are warming up in the bullpen. It's a close game. And I go down behind the Yankee bullpen. Rigetti was like one of the best relievers <laughs> in the league at the time. Thurmond, not so much. And I yelled, this is in Oakland. I yelled, we want the left-hander, not the right-winger. <laughs> And everyone
0: around me thought that was quite funny. Well, you know, to me, you know, this is going to make the upcoming season interesting. You know, uh, the fallout of Mather, the the stuff we haven't talked about extensively, the sexual harassment stuff is ongoing. You no, know, with Callaway and 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 on and on and on. You know, and and you know, to me, the, the core question is, I think Tover, somebody said, kind of post Trumpian. I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't. I know you don't think we're in a post Trumpian age. No, but,
4: no, but I don't. you
0: know, you know, how how is this? How is this how's major league baseball gonna gonna approach the season from a marketing standpoint, right? Are they just gonna just 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 you know line up and make sure that the core fan base or the agreed white fans or the affluent fans, or are they gonna really make an attempt to to circumvent and 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 get around these these problems, but they're gonna keep persisting because there are gonna be more sexual harassment cases. There's gonna be more, you know, racist utterances. That's not gonna go away and either you're just gonna be like, we don't care. Or they're going to try to really actively, you know, create a different kind of dynamic. I mean, and they probably won't. I mean, Craig would. I, I see Craig's answer immediately, but that's that's the core question. And this, particularly in in, in a post Trump administration. Well,
4: I, I mean, I think this is something that we're going to go deeper into at some point. But it's also so. Do all the Black Lives Matter signs and shirts and everything just go away now? And I, I include the players, not just management, in in that conversation. What's the next step, or is there no next step?
5: there's no next step and because so what happens with major league baseball is everything it does is a reaction right the what it did last year with black lives matter uh what it does when a a player or a coach says something homophobic and they they try to launder him through a few meetings with with bill bean uh what happens when someone gets involved with sexual harassment and some charity is given money it's all about how we get past this problem and onto what we want to do. And what we want to do when you're Major League Baseball is basically just make money to the extent we market the season. It's the same old bunting along the uh, the upper deck and America's pastime and the grand game and and and, and April fifteenth it's Jackie Robinson and in October it's the the ghosts of the fall and the long shadows of World Series past. And that's all they care about. That's really the the depth that they care about. To the extent they interact and deal with the issues that we on this podcast and a lot of other fans care about, social justice, misogyny, homophobia, the things that, you know, racism in baseball, Major League Baseball views those as distractions and obstacles to get past, not issues to confront. That has always been the case. They, they try harder now to confront them a little bit to look like they're doing it, but they still have the same playbook. How do we get past this problem and back to what we want to do, which is, you know, building a mixed-use real estate development (laughs) next to the ballpark?
4: I want to see what the players are going to do, too.
5: I suspect the position of MLB is play ball, peanuts,
6: and Cracker Jack. We have a whole season here, and they're not going... They're neither going to kind of embrace the the Trevor Bowers of the world or, or the Black Lives movement. They're going to pretend that this is just baseball as usual.
3: There was a player with, I believe, the Phillies in the late 50s, early 60s, a first baseman who was arrested for attempting to molest children, to lure them into his car. He exposed himself. It was a whole thing, but it wasn't what it would have been today. And he was suspended by the commissioner's office for a while, and he did undergo treatment. And then they just let him back in. And uh, he ended up playing with the Mets for a while, as you would expect in in this in this situation. But it, it just kind of goes towards how far we've come in some ways and not far at all in others that for a long time, baseball was not concerned with policing anything of that nature, except what happened between the lines now. it's reflected in, in say, the drug scandals of the 1980s or even the PED stuff later. Hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. We're just going to let it sail by. Now they are realizing that they do have to be more responsive in those areas, but the approach has not been perfected because it's still very reluctant, very hesitant.
4: Well, one thing that makes me think of just uh, as an aside is the domingo Hermann situation also this past week, where... I mean, they they did take some pretty serious action against him and his uh, teammates have not been very happy with him. So um, that seems like progress.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, the thing about Domingo Herman, one of the guys who was critical uh, was Zach Britton. And what many people don't know is that Zach's mother is Dominican. And so, you know, he he took a great offense um, at the actions of uh, Domingo Herman and expressed, you know, I got to be in the same clubhouse as this guy.
3: I talked about this at length on the Infinite Inning, and I was deeply offended last week when Joe Girardi, speaking of Odabel Herrera, who was arrested a couple of years ago for assaulting his girlfriend in Atlantic City to the extent that there were handprints on her neck where he had tried to choke her out. He's back in camp again this year, and, and he was suspended for 85 games when that that happened she declined to cooperate with prosecutors, as often happens in those cases for very understandable reasons. So the case was dropped, except that he had to go to counseling. He's still under contract for a lot of money. And Joe Girardi said, Well, nobody's perfect. Everyone makes mistakes. We deserve another chance. And he managed to normalize and minimize what it was that Herrera had done. And it it was just painfully tone deaf. So clearly not everyone has gotten the message. Major
5: League Baseball has gotten pretty good. On the discipline side, which you have to be, right? I mean, you have to have the discipline side. And and so they should be applauded for how they've done it. And they've they've handed out serious penalties. But the Girardi situation that you just described sort of encapsulates the limitations there. As far as an administrative act, they know what to do. As far as a culture, they don't know what to do, right? Because when the off-the-field stuff meets the on-the-field stuff, the on-the-field people just don't know how to react, Domingo Herman no matter what people are saying in the press conferences this week his future with the Yankees will be determined on whether or not he pitches well that's that's how it's really going to be dealt with if he if he sucks they're going to let him go if he doesn't they're going to say well he came around and and he's okay the players for the most part or the certainly the managers they they don't, they're not equipped to to understand how to deal with a Herrera or or whoever because it just hasn't filtered down to that level the the league just hasn't taken the culture into account and, and tried to 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 teach players and people about it uh, on a holistic level. Again, it's because you don't have to once you've got a suspension thing going on, you, once you've got a, a disciplinary program going on. That's how we can get past it. And then it's kind of messy. It's better now than it used to be, but it's kind of messy uh, when you're dealing with it the way Major League Baseball is dealing with it now.
3: To give them this much credit, I always am still astounded to this day by this, but back in 2003, the Astros had a shortstop Julio Lugo, who was arrested. I believe this happened in the stadium parking lot. He was slamming his wife's head into the hood of a car over and over again. So he was arrested for assault. The Astros, to their credit, suspended him immediately and said, ultimately, we don't want this kind of person on our team anymore. So he was released. He was, however, instantaneously signed by the Tampa Bay Rays and went on to play, I don't know, another 10 years, basically. And at no time did Bud Selig say a word. Did the league get involved in any way at all? He never had any consequence in his baseball career, except basically a short period of being suspended and then having to change addresses. But that was it.
6: Every incident like this, there's lots of different lenses, right? And the Domingo Herman case, one thing that strikes me is that the, the official policy was a suspension. And then nothing. Right. So so there's no sense of what comes next. The the, the team has no the team, the league. There's no policies. How do you relate to it now? And then what happens is internally it has to police itself. And once again, as we always see in baseball, it's the white southern dude doing the policing. And in this particular case, I kind of would side with Zach Britton over Domingo Herman. But I don't think we should. I think it's not good for the game to institutionalize that as the way we address problems, that approach. There's got to be a better approach. And the approach has to come from the league and the teams, not, and it happens that Britain is a veteran. I think value valued the Yankees is is not the 19 games he won a couple of years ago. I don't think he's that kind of a pitcher anyway. Otherwise, this would be a different conversation as it was with the Robles Chapman. But that dynamic is, is also still out there and that's not great either.
3: Well, that brings us to the end of another hour of Say It Ain't Contagious. Here's a secret for you kids. Actually, it is contagious. I note that four of the six of us this week find themselves in... New York or the New York area, and I was reading in the Times today that there's an exciting new COVID variant making its way around the city. So, fellas, please be careful as as you go about. Wear your masks, wash your hands. Don't uh, French kiss strangers. There, as we've said, there are hazards to doing that. So, next week we'll be back with another interstitial episode. You all know what interstitial means, don't you? You don't need me to explain that. It's the one that comes in between like those Skull House rock segments during the old Saturday morning cartoons, they weren't quite a show. They weren't quite not a show. They were just interstitial. Also that timer guy, but the less said about that, the better. The guy who hankered for a hunk of cheese will be back with an interstitial show with either part or the whole of the panel, depending on who feels like showing up. It's very informal around here on a subject to be decided, which is always the most exciting kind of subject to look forward to. And so until then, All we would ask is that you go to the podcatcher of your choice and rate, review, and subscribe. It helps the show gain attention. The more audience we have, the more of these we can do, and they are, as you can hear, a great deal of fun for us to do. So I thank you very much for that. And I think that's all we have to say until next time on Sading Contagious, unless you have any final
4: words, Tova. You know, just smiles all around. uh no can't wait for next week and uh i promise that we will be talking about something very interesting and exciting i don't think we should like advertise that we don't know what the hell we're doing
5: no actually i think it's endearing
3: Se siente bien saber que cuando le pones sirope a tu Big Breakfast with the Hot Cakes de McDonald's, tú controlas donde cae. Primero se acerca tu biscuit y rodea la salchicha. Luego llega tus hash browns. Y finalmente a tus huevos revueltos, dándoles ese sabor dulce del maple. Ordena por anticipado en el lab de McDonald's y que fluya el sirope. Pa, 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 pa. Móvil, order and pay in McDonald's.
2: Participantes, a la descarga y registro.